0: ridiculous but said something heretical and i never thought that the person who would sort of be putting their foot in their mouth would be me before i had to stand up but nonetheless here we are so luke chapter one beginning in verse 46 we have the wonderful song of mary which we know as the magnificat let's read it together and mary said my soul magnifies the lord and my spirit rejoices in god my savior He has filled the hungry with good things, and the rich he has sent away empty. He has helped his servant Israel in remembrance of his mercy, as he spoke to our fathers, to Abraham, and to his offspring forever. And Mary remained with her for about three months and returned to her home. May God add his blessing to the reading of his word this morning. Let's pray together. Father, now we come to your word and we pray. That, uh, Lord, the song, the poem that Mary gives us, we pray that your spirit would attend the preaching of your word and that this song would do its work in our hearts. For we ask this now in Jesus' name. Amen. One of the wonderful things about streaming music is you now have the ability to listen to music or to old records or even old cassette tapes that you would not have had access to otherwise. A couple years ago, one of my siblings texted us uh, a link to a Spotify playlist. It was a playlist of the old Firestone and Goodyear Christmas albums. Those were staples in our home. Some of you are old enough to remember what that was. From 1961 to 1971, if you went to your local Firestone or Goodyear tire dealer, they had a Christmas record that they would give you. Now, usually they would be much more likely to give it to you if you bought a new set of snow tires. But nonetheless, they would give you uh, this particular record. Well, those were staples in our home. Growing up. And so, as I prepare my own heart for Christmas, one of the things that I do is I go back and I listen to these old uh, albums. I can listen to them now on Spotify. I don't have to have a record player. Uh, it, it's a little strange because I find myself waiting for the scratch to come in certain songs and it's not there. Well, this week I came across uh, a particular verse from a, a hymn or a Christmas carol that isn't particularly. Uh, religious. It isn't particularly sacred. But I I listened to it and I thought, yeah. And here it is. For I've grown a little leaner, grown a little colder, grown a little sadder, grown a little older. And I need a little angel sitting on my shoulder. I need a little Christmas now. Now, When the author says leaner, it doesn't mean that you weigh less than you did before. That's not true for me. But it does mean that there is a meanness of spirit. That if we're not careful, can sort of seep in. And as Ben prayed for us this morning, he reminded us that oftentimes in those occasions in which we should be most generous and grateful and glad, we're not. I found myself this past week being able to relate to that verse in ways that I didn't find particularly attractive or appealing. I wonder if you can relate to that verse as well. You've grown a little leaner, a little colder, a little sadder, a little older. So what we need is not a little angel sitting on our shoulder. What we need is to find the comfort and refuge in our text for this morning. If you look in your bulletin on page five, you'll see there an outline for our time together. And in that outline, you see something called the big idea. The big idea in one sentence, we hope, is what the sermon is about. So here's our big idea as we look at the Magnificat. Mary praises God for his particular mercies and the pattern of his promises. Mary praises God for his particular mercies and the pattern of his promises. Four points we want to make this morning. First, we need to praise God for his particular mercies. We need to praise God for his particular mercies. Please note that as Mary begins this song in response to the greeting and the blessing that she has received from Elizabeth as she has gone to see her, that Mary begins with, my, my, me, me. Now, this is not Mary being selfish. This is not Mary being egotistical. This is not that somehow Mary thinks the entire world revolves around her. No, but Mary is reminding us of something that's very important. And it's something that as we go through the rest of Luke and into the book of Acts, it's something that we're going to see that is of particular significance and importance. See, it's one thing to say that God is mighty. It's one thing to say that God saves. It's one thing to say that God does great things. But it is entirely another thing to say that God is my Savior. That God hasn't just done great things, but he's done great things for me. Mary is reminding us that, yes, God is a God of mercies. God is a God who does great things. But God is also a God who does those things on behalf and for the benefit of his people. It isn't just that God is doing great stuff because he he likes to be a sort of cosmic show-off. No, but when God acts in a mighty way, when God acts in a redemptive way, he does so not just for the sake of his glory, but he does so also for the sake of his people. See, God is doing these things not just because God is great, though that's true. No, God is doing those things for you and for I. Now, that's what makes this really interesting, because as we go on through the book of Luke, and as we get into, we're not going to, but if we were going to read Luke and Acts together, there's a unique kind of tension that's happening. And the tension is this. There are people who want to claim group identity who cannot say, as Mary did, he is my Savior. So as we go on in the book of Luke, Jesus is going to have run-ins with the scribes and the Pharisees. And the scribes and the Pharisees love to point to, as it were, their sort of group identity. Hey, don't you know who we are? We're sons of Abraham. And yet the question that's going to show up time and time again, in fact, the question that Jesus addresses with Nicodemus right away in John chapter 4 is going to be the question of, Has God's spirit done a particular work in your life? Yes, it's wonderful that you can claim this kind of group identity. And it's great that you're a part of something larger than yourself. And it's wonderful as Jesus is going to say, listen, you have the law and the prophets and those all speak of me. But can you say this? Can you speak as Mary does? Of God's particular mercies for you. Friends, that's a tension we need always to sort of keep a hold of and be mindful of in our own lives. I grew up in a tradition that said, well, as long as you have a personal relationship with the Lord Jesus Christ, being a part of the people of God doesn't matter. Some of you grew up in traditions that said, well, as long as you've been baptized into the people of God, don't worry about this personal testimony stuff that some of your friends are going to get all riled up and fired up about. And the answer is we need both of those things. We need to be a part of a covenant community of believers. At the same time, You yourself need to be able to say, as Mary did, my spirit rejoices in God, my Savior. He has done great things for me. Uh, The tradition I grew up in, the saying went something like this. uh, Now, being in church doesn't make you a Christian any more than standing in your garage makes you a car. And that's true. It is true. But if you are indeed a Christian, you should be a part of God's people. It's not one or the other. It's both and. Mary can praise God for his particular mercies. Yes, she is a part of the old covenant people. And yet, under the inspiration of the Holy Spirit and through the work of the Holy Spirit, she will say that God is my Savior. Look at what he has done for me. Friends, one of the ways that we keep our souls from being a little leaner and a little colder and a little sadder and a little, and I'm realizing this, I think older anymore is sort of, it's a nice poetic way of saying grumpier, right? The older I get, the more I understand get off my lawn guy because I can be get off my lawn. Right. Well, the way that we combat that, or one of the ways that we combat that, is we praise God for what He's done on our behalf. We were dead in our sin and in our trespasses, but through the work of the Spirit and because of the completed and finished work of the Lord Jesus Christ, we've been made alive together with the Lord Jesus Christ. We who were once not a people. God now says, you're my people. And later this morning, we who were once not part of God's family are going to be invited by God himself to come to the family meal. We need to praise God for his particular mercies. The second thing, though, that we need to be praising God for is for his pattern of redemption. We need to praise God for his pattern of redemption. Right away, Mary goes from my, my, me, me to this is how He acts among His people. Look at verse 50. His mercy is great for those who fear Him from generation to generation. This isn't just about the way that God has worked in Mary's life. This isn't just about the fact that He is her Savior. This song is not going to be about how wonderful it is in essence, and I'm paraphrasing now, uh, to sort of have Jesus as your boyfriend. No, Mary's going to place God's redemptive work in its larger context. And here's what she's saying. She's saying to us, listen, God is doing this because this is what God has always done. From Genesis to Revelation, what does God do? He rescues sinners. Sinners. He shows grace and mercy to people who don't deserve it. He calls for himself a king. And through his king, he shows strength with his arm. Think about the history of Israel. Verse 51, he has shown strength with his arm. He has scattered the proud in the thoughts of their hearts. He has brought down the mighty from their thrones and exalted those of humble estate, think about the Exodus. Think about how God showed himself mighty in the midst of the world's great superpower. Think about how he delivered his people who were enslaved and in bondage. Think about how he brought them into the promised land and as he told them, listen, I'm going to give you cities, but they're not cities that you built. Think of all that God has done on behalf of his people. And Mary is saying, listen, what God has done for me, it's what he's always done. This is who he is. And the kind of reversal that we see in verses 51 and 52, the kind of reversal that we see in verse 53. Some scholars have said, well, this is, This is Mary announcing that God's going to turn the world upside down. No, the the world is upside down. This is the announcement that through his son, through the Messiah, God is going to turn the world right side up. Now, please note that what Mary is talking about and what is here given to us by inspiration of the Holy Spirit, this is not the American dream. It's something very different. This is something that uh, God's work is, first of all, it's a work of mercy. It's a work of mercy. And I know we don't like to think of ourselves as being in need of mercy, but we are. And when he starts with mercy... That's when you understand how he scatters the proud in the thoughts of their hearts. You see, when you understand that what you need most from God is not his blessing, it's not his uh, giving his stamp of approval on the plans that you have for your life, but when you understand that what you need most fundamentally from the God who created you is his mercy, it's hard to be proud or it should be. And then, when you understand the danger in verse 52 of remaining proud, of thinking that you are somehow in and of yourself sufficient and mighty, and instead God exalts those who are humble, He has filled the hungry with good things. As we get into the Sermon on the Mount, we're going to see that this isn't just talking about food, physical food. No, this is talking about the deep spiritual longing that we know that we have, that we try to fill in any number of different ways that only God can fill. We praise God because this is who He has always been. He has always been a God who saves, He has always been a God who has done great things for His people. Thirdly, we praise God for his promise keeping. We praise God for his promise keeping. Again, Mary continues with the history lesson. Listen, this is who God has always been. And by the way, uh, he's showing this mercy. He's showing this care. He's acting this way because he's in a covenant relationship with Israel. That's what he means when he says he has helped his servant Israel in remembrance of his, there it is again, mercy. God made particular promises to Abraham. We find them in Genesis 12, again in Genesis 15, and again in Genesis 17. God makes particular promises to the nation of Israel through his servant Moses. God makes particular promises to David in 2 Samuel chapter 7 about David's kingdom, David's throne, and that one of David's offspring would sit on the throne of Israel forever and Mary is reminding us that now here is God remembering all of the covenant promises that he has made now let's be clear when you and I remember something it's because we forgot it Uh, I was talking uh, this morning uh, before the service to some folks and we were talking about scheduling and the wife wisely said, well, I'll put it in my calendar, because if it's in my calendar, then it's really there. If it's in his, <laughs> not so much. I find myself regularly having to remember things that are on our calendar. That's Mary's not suggesting that God has somehow forgotten his covenant promises. No, what is meant when it speaks of God remembering is that those covenant promises are always on the forefront of God's mind. And he will always act in accordance with his Hesed or his covenant faithfulness. There's never a time in God's relationship with his people in which he's gonna go, yeah, ah, uh, yeah, that thing I promised, yeah. I, I forgot. It's never going to be that way. And so we praise him for his promise keeping. Fourthly then, and so what? These are things that uh, just this past week stood out to me. It's stunning, I think, and we're going to see this in just a second. Uh, Mary is basically here. Her song is basically a mixtape of a bunch of texts from the Old Testament. She didn't create this ex nihilo out of nothing. But it's a reminder to us again that God's word is trustworthy. That what we ought to be concerned with as God's people is not what the world thinks or says. But we ought to instead to be mindful and be giving ourselves to making certain that we're always Trusting God, that we're taking God at his word. That's one of the great themes of Mary's song. God is a faithful savior. He can be trusted to save. God can be trusted to deliver his people. God can be trusted to keep his covenant promises. Martin Luther put it this way. Now, please uh, be warned, Luther could be earthy at times. Our British friends would say he was a bit cheeky. This is one of my favorite uh, cheeky, earthy Luther quotes. Luther says, and I quote, If God in his word told me to eat dung, I know it would be for my good. Let me read it again. If God in his word told me to eat dung, I know it would be for my good. It's reminding us that God's word is trustworthy. Mary gives us a song that is made up of Old Testament texts. Why? Because she understands that in the coming of the Messiah into the world, God is fulfilling his word. God's word is trustworthy. Secondly, we need to learn to pray and praise by marinating ourselves in the Bible. We learn to pray and praise by marinating ourselves in the Bible. We heard read for us this morning, 1 Samuel chapter 2. Scholars point to the similarities, both in themes and composition, of Hannah's song and Mary's song. And It's certain that in Sabbath school, Mary would have been taught Hannah's song from 1 Samuel chapter 2. She also quotes greatly from Psalm 113. But that's not the only place she quotes from. Listen as I give you the text that Mary quotes from directly. These aren't allusions. We're talking about she has done the full cut and paste. Psalm 34, Psalm 69, Psalm 35, Psalm 103, Psalm 107, Psalm 146, Psalm 98. I've already mentioned Psalm 113. She also quotes from Habakkuk 3, the book of Deuteronomy, the book of Genesis, the book of Isaiah, and the book of Micah. If we would pray and praise in a way that is God honoring we could do much worse than learning the Bible than having our prayers be we pray the Bible it's one of the things we're trying to do in our gospel communities why are we reading so much scripture at once and why is there so little uh sort of uh sermonizing or pontificating by less or by myself well, the whole point of this is we want to read it. We want to ask a few questions. And then when we pray together, we want to learn to pray the Scriptures. I have found in my own life and in my own walk with Christ, I cannot tell you how many times, both as a young man and now even as, an, as, a, as not a young man anymore, I have used David's words in Psalm 51, Create in me a clean heart, O God. And renew a right spirit within me. Or when I despair, as I do pretty much every week, about the task that the Lord has called me to, and what it is that uh, He's, that I, I spend my life doing, I'm reminded again of the words that Paul writes in 2 Timothy chapter 4. For in 2 Timothy chapter 4, here's listen to what he says To Timothy, I charge you in the presence of God and of Christ Jesus, who is to judge the living and the dead by his appearing and his kingdom, preach the word. Be ready in season and out of season, reprove, rebuke, and exhort with complete patience and teaching. Time and time again, as I pray, as I praise, as I think about the work that the Lord has called me to, I find that I do better if instead of praying that you know, God, uh, people make me crazy. I'm a person. I'm at the top of the list. Instead, to remember, hey, listen, you're called to do this with complete patience. Friends, if we would learn to pray and to praise... One of the best ways to do that is by marinating ourselves in the Bible. That's what Mary did. She didn't just get a wild hair and sort of creative juices started flowing. No, Mary was steeped in God's word. And when the time came, under the inspiration of the Holy Spirit, she gives us this beautiful song of praise. He who is mighty has done a great thing. He has indeed exalted the humble. And this morning as we come to the table, we are reminded that he has taken those who were once called not my people, and he says that we are now his people. We are called by his name, we have been adopted. And as adopted sons and daughters, we are invited to the table that he has set before us. Let's pray. Father, thank you. Uh, Lord, I'm I'm reminded of the words of my friend Michael Gordon, who says that uh, one of the worst things in the world to have to do is to preach the Psalms, because... Preaching poetry is like explaining a joke. So Father, this morning I pray that as uh, all that this season brings, both physically and emotionally and uh, mentally to us, Father, some of us are beset with the sin of nostalgia. Father, others of us, we'll find this to be a season not of rejoicing, but of uh, melancholy, if not downright despair. And so, Lord, we pray that the words of this song would be a balm to our souls. That we would, with Mary, be able to say, He who is mighty has done a great thing. For we pray this now in Jesus' name, amen.